What a beautiful song. That he might restore us. That he might take over in our lives. That he might encourage us. That's what we need. And that's a beautiful, beautiful song. Sometimes we can walk around smiling like everything is really great. But inside we're hurting. And that's where the Lord loves us. He loves us on the inside. He wants to restore us on the inside. And I was listening to Sylvia's message the other day on the prosperity of the soul. And it was so good because that's what God wants to do. He wants to prosper our soul. He wants to work on us on the inside. And we trust that's what he'll do in our lives today. Shall we just look to the Lord in prayer? Father, we come to you with humble hearts, hungry hearts. We want to hear your word today. We want to be nourished by the word of God and challenged and convicted and built up in our faith. And we pray whatever is the need today in every heart that you will meet that need today. We pray for those who are not with us today, Lord. We especially miss our dear brother Bill, and we pray that you'll restore him and help him to feel better in his back so he can be back with us at church. And all those who are ill and not with us, Lord, may your healing hand be upon them. Please now hide me behind the cross that the word of God would go forward today. It will be your word, Lord, that will touch our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. A week ago Friday, I was driving home from our Friday group, and we have such a great time. And I was driving behind Ray Brown. There he is in the back sound room there. And I noticed his license plate frame. I hadn't seen it before, and it was so great. It said, American by birth, Christian by choice. And that was really, it made an impact to me. American by birth, Christian by choice. It's not enough to grow up in America and say you're a Christian. A lot of people do that. Oh, I'm a Christian. I grew up here in America. It's a choice that each one of us have to make. To have Christ in our lives, we choose him. And we choose his will. And so it was such a blessing that we do that. Because the Lord says, when you choose me, I will give you the best life. I will give you an abundant life, a wonderful life, an encouraging life, if we decide to follow the Lord. But for so many, we have to ask ourselves the question, is Christ first in my life? Is he the Lord of my life? Is he the passion of my life? Or do I just like to come to church, sing the hymns, hear the message, and then go home and live any which way I choose. That's not Christianity. Adel had a phrase years ago, he called it churchianity. Churchianity, that's churchianity. And there are a lot of church-going people that aren't saved. And you may be here today, and you come to church, and you like it, and it's good to meet the Christians, but you haven't yet received Christ. You haven't chosen him to be your master, to be your Lord. We pray that today will be the day. I read a story about a movie called Fever Pitch. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, but in this movie, a man named Ben Reitman is crazy about the Boston Red Sox baseball team. And he was a rabid fan. He went to all the games in the spring and summertime. Well, along came the wintertime, and he met a young lady by the name of Lindsay, and he fell in love with her, and she fell in love with him, and he wooed her, and and they were together, and it was great. Until springtime came. And baseball season started. And then he started to 
talk baseball, do nothing but baseball. He ignored her, really, and the only time she would be able to see him is if she went to the baseball games with him, and the poor girl was so uh, flustered by this and upset. And so she ended her relationship with Ben because of his fanaticism. And one day a friend of Ben's talked to him and said this. He said, Ben, you love the socks, but tell me, do the socks love you back? You know, that's a great question. It's a sobering question. We can love a lot of things in this world, but do they love us back? When we love Jesus, he loves us back because he loved us first. It says we love because he first loved us. And we can know that when we pour our energy and our effort and our love into serving him and following him, we will be the recipients of such a great life and we will be so encouraged. You know, the writer of The Daily Bread, and this appeared just yesterday in The Daily Bread, said, we pour our lives into hobbies, pleasures, activities, work, many good things. But two things should always be thought about when making our choices. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says the whole Bible, the whole, all the commandments are summarized in those two commandments, to love God and to love others. And that should be the priority and passion of our life. Not just to go through the motions, not just to come to church, not just to look good, but to be saved and to be following Christ. That is the difference. And today the title of our message is Choosing to Follow Christ. Now we all have our favorite Bible characters, don't we? There may be one man or woman in the Bible that you can relate to and you love very much. I know from the male standpoint, the Apostle Paul I think is my favorite man in the Bible. But there's so many others too that I love very much. And when it comes to women in the Bible, there's one that I really love a lot, and that's Ruth. Ruth became a transformed woman, chose to follow the Lord in her life, and the Lord made such an impact and a difference in her heart and in her life. Today we're going to look at the book of Ruth, and we're going to look at her choice. We're going to look at her conduct and character, and we're going to look at her crown. You know, if you can turn with me to the book of Ruth, chapter 1. It's just a short book. Yesterday when I was preparing this, I sat down and I read over the book of Ruth. It only takes a couple minutes. It's very short, four chapters, and they're not long chapters. You can go home later today or tonight and read over the book of Ruth, and you can get a great blessing from it because you could hear messages on Ruth all the time, every day, and you could get more out of it because the Lord has his word for us, and by the Holy Spirit teaches us so many things. I'm just going to read a couple of verses here from the book of Ruth before we begin. It says in verse 1 of chapter 1, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. And the name of his two sons were Malon and Shilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. 
And they dwelt there about 10 years. Then both Malan and Shilion also died, and the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Verse 14. Then they lifted up their voice and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her God. Return after your sister-in-law. Listen to this. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Then when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. May God bless the reading of his word. Every person in the Bible, men, women, children, every person had to make a personal choice. It included Ruth. She had to choose. She had the opportunity. Am I going to stay in Moab, which is the type of the world, or as Adel mentioned in his last message, the far country? Will you choose to live in the far country, or will you go back to the land of Israel, God's country, God's true country? I know Jim uh, Sisko jokes a lot about Livermore. He says, Livermore is God's country. Well, that's true, maybe, but... Really, God's country is the little land of Israel. That's really God's country. And you notice there's a lot of conflict and fighting over this little, little piece of land in the Middle East between the Arabs and the Jews. They're still fighting over it. But it's God's country. It really is. Jerusalem is the city of God. And when she goes back to Bethlehem, that's where they were going back to, that is the spot where the Lord Jesus Christ was born and also where David came from as well. But it's a sad story, really, when you consider the story of Naomi and Elimelech. They were living fine lives in, in Judah, in Bethlehem of Judah, and then a famine struck. Now, they didn't trust God. They went out of his will and went to a place where they knew there was bread. But I'll tell you what, it's better to have famine and be inside the will of God than to be outside of the will of God and have all the abundance in the world. You know, the scripture says, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? He says, if you gain the whole world and lose your soul, what good is it? And so she and her husband, Naomi and her husband Elimelech, and their two young boys went off to the land of Moab. And things did not get good for them. They got worse. They got worse. They went there to avoid the famine, and they ended up with a spiritual famine. You know, we can have that in our lives. We can have all the good and plenty and prosperity of the world. We can prosper. But if we don't have the spiritual growth and development in our life, if we're not close to the Lord, then we're going to have a spiritual famine. The Bible says that they had a famine for the hearing of the word of God, it says in Jeremiah. And so may the Lord help us to see that Moab is not a good choice. That is not the right choice. And Naomi, her husband, her family, everyone found out the consequences of what it means to be outside the will of God. You know, there's never a lonelier place. There's never a more sad place. A more discouraging place is if you move outside God's will. At first, it may seem okay but then as time goes by, it gets worse 
and worse and worse. It doesn't get better, it gets worse until God directs you back into his will. Like a father that has to spank his child to get him to go in the right way, or a mother has to spank her child. And the Lord deals with us as with sons. He disciplines us, he corrects us. He didn't want Naomi and her family to be outside the will of God, so he had to do a work in their lives, and it was a painful work. And the first thing that happened was Elimelech died. Her husband died. She became a widow, Naomi. And it was sad, and they had the first funeral, and things were not good. But they tried to pick up the pieces. We got to survive. We got to carry on. We got to make it through this. Just like we're trying to make it through all this mess in the economy and all these troubled times we're living, they had to try to survive it. And they went on through time, and then they had a couple of weddings where Naomi's two boys, they got married to these Moabite women. One married a lady named Orpah, and the other married Ruth. And everything seemed to be kind of okay now. They had, to, they had the funeral, but then after that, time went by and passed, and things better. And then they had these two weddings. Oh, it's happy times now. Happy days are here again, like they sing this song in the world. But guess what? Now they had two funerals because both of Naomi's sons died. And she might have thought, God, what's happening? First I lost my husband. Now I lost my two sons. What have I done wrong? And she started to search her heart. And God started to burden her and say, Naomi, remember when you were in Israel and how I took care of you? Yes, Lord. Remember how you went to the synagogue and you were blessed in the temple and you would used to honor me and you used to follow me closely? Yes, Lord. What happened, Naomi? You went to Moab and things were different. And now I want you to go back to where you left off, back to Bethlehem, back to Bethlehem. And that's where she wanted to go. So she said, come on, let's go. We're going back to Bethlehem. And they're walking along to Bethlehem. And all of a sudden, Naomi says, you know, I can't do this to these girls. These are young women. They're young widows. I went through widowhood myself. I know it's tough. I don't have a husband. I'm older now. That's fine for me, but I can't expect these two young ladies to leave their, their families and their homes and go off with me back to Bethlehem without giving them the choice. And you know, when Jesus comes to us, he gives us the choice and he says, follow me. And we have to make that choice. No one can make the choice for us. And that's what had to happen with Orpah and Ruth. And notice how it says in verse 14, then they lifted up their voices and wept again. They were weeping all over the, each other. They were hide women, and they were crying <clears throat> very much. And it says that Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Both of these young women loved their mother, Naomi, their mother-in-law. They loved her very much. They loved to hear the stories that she told them about the God of Israel. They loved to hear about what it was like back in the, in the promised land and what they went through in those experiences. But the difference was Orpah chose to go back. When she had the chance, she took that opportunity and went back to Moab. We never hear from her again. We never hear from her again. But Ruth, it says, clung to her. I can imagine she's hugging her and not letting go. And she was not going to go. And so they go a little further, and then Naomi says to her, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Chance number two. Okay, Ruth, you made the, the first time you chose Naomi, the first time you chose to go with her back to God's country. 
But now we're going to give her another chance. The Lord really wants to see if she's serious or not. He really wants to see if you and I are serious or not. He tests us. Will you really choose me? Will you really follow me? Will you really be obedient to me? And so she gives her another chance. But I love how it says in verse 16, but Ruth said. And listen to what she said. And these words that she said in verses 16 and 17 are some of the most beautiful, poetic, and powerful words in our Bible and in the whole English language. It says, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. And she says in verse 17, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Did she make a decision? She made a decision. She was determined. She was not going to go back to Moab. She was going to follow Naomi back to Israel. She made the right choice. The word clung that's found in the verse here in verse 14 is the Hebrew word dabag, which means to cling, to cleave, to keep close. She was not going to let anything separate her from Naomi. And more than that, not only from Naomi, from Naomi's God. She chose, and Naomi was very discouraged, and she calls herself Mara, which means bitter. We read that in the Breaking of Bread. Greg read about the rivers of, and waters of Mara. She was bitter. She was bitter because of what she went through. Now, it wasn't God who did it to her. She did it to herself by going outside the will of God. But she still shared with these young women, and especially with Ruth, about what the Lord can do in your life. And so now she has made up her mind, case closed, no discussion. Don't try to talk me out of it, Naomi. I want to go with you. I'm going with you. She would not take no for an answer. And when we determine to follow Christ, it has to be a decision of the heart. And when you decide to follow Christ, it can't be something you enter into lightly. So many people today say, well, here's the prayer. Just pray this prayer and everything will be okay. Well, th there is a prayer of salvation, but you've got to have your heart into it. You've got to make that choice. That's why when some man came to Jesus one day and he says, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. Did Jesus say, great, sign him up. You're a good man. No, he said this. The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Do you really want to follow me? Then that's what it's going to involve. It's going to involve a sacrifice. It's going to involve a commitment. It's a lifelong commitment. You can't just say, I'm going to be a Christian today and then tomorrow decide no or a week from tomorrow. If you're really committed to the Lord and you're really saved, you're going to, have the, you're going to persevere. You're going to go through whatever trials and difficulty you have. And sometimes people think, well, when I become a Christian, every problem's going to go away. It'll all be just perfect. No. In fact, it gets worse. Because then we have trials that God uses in our life to mold us in his ways. And so we have to realize that. And she says also, for wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. That's amazing. She had a loyalty. When you think of loyalty, you think of Ruth. She was loyal. She was loyal to God. She was loyal to the people of God, and she was loyal to her mother-in-law, Naomi. She was loyal. 
And loyalty is such a, a valuable commodity today, but it's so rare. You don't go into things thinking people are not loyal today. It's like the baseball player says, well, I've been loyal to this team for 13 years, 13 seasons, and we've done well. And, this. and then the owner comes in, I'm sorry we have to cut you because the salary cap doesn't work for us, and so we have to let you go. There's no loyalty. The player doesn't have loyalty to the ownership. The ownership doesn't have loyalty to the players. The owners don't have loyalty to the fans, and now sometimes the fans don't even have loyalty to the owner. There's no loyalty in the world. People work for a company for years and then get laid off just like that. No loyalty. It's amazing. There's no loyalty today. Very little. But Ruth was loyal. And I love that for her. She was loyal to the Lord. She had a devotion to the Lord. She goes on to say, your people shall be my people. And your God shall be my God. That was the commitment that she had. She said, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. And once you decide to follow him, there is no turning back. Last year in the choir, we sang a beautiful song, and the chorus goes like this. I will follow Christ. I will run the race, fighting the good fight, standing on my faith. I will wear the name of Jesus. I will give him all my life. As for you, as for me, no matter what the sacrifice, I will follow Christ. Can you say that today, that you will follow Christ no matter what the price, no matter what the fight, no matter what, how long the race is, that we would follow Christ. That should be our desire. Every day is to follow him. One day the Lord Jesus was speaking to all his followers, and he was speaking in John chapter 6 and giving some strong teaching about commitment to him and his body being, uh, eat my body and drink my flesh, and he was giving them the analogy of being committed to him and following him. And then pretty soon, one after another, all these people started going away. One after, leaving, leaving, leaving. How sad. And then the Lord turned to the 12 and he said, will you too go away? And Peter stood up for the, all the others and spoke up and he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And Peter made that commitment to follow the Lord and all the 12 disciples did the same. But it's a commitment from the heart, as we said. And she goes on to say in verse 17, where you die, I will die, and I will be buried. The Lord do to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Look how she brings the Lord into it now. She says, the Lord do to me, and more also, if anything but death should part you and I from being together. You know, no turning back. That is the key to it. She had a commitment. She was a follower. She chose to follow, and she was not going to go back. She was serious about it. She was loyal. She was faithful. And notice in verse 18, when she said that, it says, when she, that is Naomi, saw that she, Ruth, was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now, it doesn't mean they didn't talk all the way back to Bethlehem. No, they still talk. But it, said she, it really means she stopped trying to convince her. I'm not going to convince this girl. This girl's determined. She wants it. Let her come. And she knew it was going to be good for Ruth, but she wanted Ruth to have the choice. And the Lord knows we have a free will. We have to have a choice. God would not be glorified if he made us like robots having to do his will, having to be saved on, with no choice. So he gives us the choice to follow him. I read a story about Caesar. 
in the early days when they went to Britain to fight against the people there. And he had all these Roman legions, and they went in by ships, and they came up the coast there. And they climbed up the mountain and got up there. And all of a sudden, Caesar says, look down at the water. And they looked down at the water, and they saw all the ships burning, engulfed in flames. Why? Because Caesar set them on fire himself. Because he said, lest they turn around and retreat and go back and lose the fight. He burned their way back. He burned their ships that would take them away. He didn't want them to retreat. And so what did they do? They had no choice but to go and fight and win the battle, and they did it. Caesar had to do everything in his power to make sure they wouldn't have anybody retreat. But guess what? Ruth didn't need anybody like that. She made the decision. She was committed to it. She was going to follow Christ no matter what. She did the right thing. She was determined. She had a, a mixture of love and commitment that is not found in very many people's lives today. Imagine the commitment that she had. I don't know what you're going through in your life and your heart today, but maybe the Lord wants you to take a step of faith, take a leap of faith, trust in him for something that is major in your life, and he's going to do it. But you've got to have the commitment of Ruth. You've got to have the willingness. You've got to have the surrender. You've got to be willing to obey. And so that's our first point today, the choice, Ruth's choice to follow. She made it, and she made it clear. She didn't waffle. She didn't waver. She said, maybe I should change my mind. No. I'm going to follow all the way. And that's what she did. Secondly, we see her character and her conduct. We won't have time to read over all the verses in, the, in these passages, but I'm just taking some selected verses. But when she went into Bethlehem with her mother-in-law, she decided to go, she said, go to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and say, I'd like to go work in the field. Ruth was a hard worker. She was a good worker. She didn't want to just say, I'm going to kick back and take it easy and live off Naomi or live off these things. No, she went out to work. And so she went into the field, and the first field that she came to was the field of Boaz. Coincidence? No. Divine appointment. Because God knew exactly what he was going to do with Boaz and with Ruth. And so he directed her to the field of Boaz. And later on, when Naomi heard about it, she was so thrilled because he was a close relative. But notice what he says about Ruth. He met her for the first time. In verse 8, he says, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go and glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. And then he goes on to say in verse 11, And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me, that all you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and mother in the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. He says, the Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Believe me, I did not pick that song, but isn't that beautiful? Under his wings we sang this morning. And that's what Ruth came to do. She came to find refuge under the wings of the everlasting God. Now remember this. She was a Moabitess. They worshipped false idols, gold and silver and all these things. They were dead idols. She had never before experienced the true and living God. And when she did, her life was transformed and it was changed. And she wanted the Lord and she wanted the Lord's will in her life. That's why it says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not 
on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. And that's what he did for Ruth. Because remember what she left behind. She left behind her mother's house, her mother and father, her family. She left behind her friends and her relatives and all the things that she grew up with. And she says, I'm going to leave it behind. When we get saved, sometimes what the Lord does, and all the time what he does, he separates us from the old things that used to drag us down, that used to make us miserable, that used to be bad for us. And he gets, gives us a new family. He gives us new friends. He gives us a new life. And when you have the new and you start looking at new, old, the new outweighs it so much, so far greater. And so that's what Naomi had told her about, and now she's experiencing it for the first time. Because when people tell you about the Lord and what it means to be saved and have peace and to accept Jesus as your Savior, it's a great thing. But when it happens to you, it's even a greater thing because it changes your life. It reminds me of the story of the Queen of Sheba who came to visit Solomon. And she had heard in her own land all about the wisdom of Solomon and all the great things he had. But it says when she went there and she saw it with her own eyes and she talked to Solomon personally, it says, she replied, the half has not been told me. The half has not been told me. And I can't wait to get to heaven because the half has not yet been told us. It's going to be so much more glorious than we even have in, in Scripture because God has got a great thing in store for us. But he's got a plan. God has a plan for Ruth, and he's working it out. First, she had to leave Moab. Secondly, she had to get to the right field, to, to the field of Boaz. Then she had to gather and glean. And she did some hard work. It says in chapter 2 that she gathered enough wheat to make an ephah. That's quite a bit. And she did that by her working there in the field of Boaz. But guess what? When she goes back to Naomi and, she, and Naomi says to her, where have you been working today, my daughter? Oh, I've been working in the field of a wonderful man. Oh, he knows all about me, and, and he's so kind, and he's so loving. Well, what's his name? Oh, he's so good. What's his name? Boaz. And it probably struck Naomi because she knew that Boaz was a very close relative. And she knew from the scriptures that in those days, if a, person, a man died and left a widow, then they used to have a person come along, a close relative called the kinsman redeemer, who would then marry that woman and keep the family name going for the, for the man who died. It was usually his brother, and he would take over that responsibility, marry that woman, and keep the name of the brother going, at least for the first son. And then after that, the sons would be for the, for the man himself. But he would carry on the family name. And so Naomi says to herself, wow, could this be? Is it too wonderful? Is it too much of a dream? Is it something that I could really think could really happen? Could this young lady that came back with me marry Boaz? He's the most wonderful man in the city, the kindest, gentlest, most generous man in the city. Oh, if they could be married, that would be a wonderful thing. And so she told Ruth what to do. She goes back, and she talks to Boaz and reveals who she is and tells him that. And he says, listen, my daughter, you have been blessed. Notice what he says to her in chapter 2. He says in verse 11, And now, my daughter, do not fear, for I will do for you all that you request. For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Stay this night, and in the morning it will be said 
that he will perform the duty of a close relative for you. Good. Let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you. As the Lord lives, lie down until morning. So now she had to wait. And then he sent her back to her mother, not with one ephah of grain, six. He gave her six ephahs of grain to take back to Naomi. Look how generous he was. And Boaz is a picture. He's a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Ruth is a type of the Gentile maiden, the church. And so it's a beautiful story and how it's all coming together for Ruth and for us. And we're seeing how God is going to work it out. And then in verse 4, we see that Boaz goes up to the, to the man who's supposed to be the next in line, the redeemer, and he gives them the opportunity. Would you like to redeem this property? He says, yes, I'd like to redeem it. He says, well, if you redeem it, you have to take Ruth also as the wife. Oh, he says, I can't do it. That'll jeopardize my inheritance. I can't do it. You can do it on my behalf. And so Boaz must have just had the biggest smile because he wanted to marry Ruth. He wanted to do, his, do the will of God and, and be the redeemer, but he had to do it the right way. And so many times in life when we do it God's way, it's going to work. But when we start making changes in the plan or trying to do it our own way, it's going to fall apart. It's not going to work. And you can imagine if this was man's will, it wouldn't have happened. But when it's God's will, it came to perfect harmony, perfect plan. And we see at the end of the chapter 4, that Boaz marries Ruth, and they have a little boy named Obed. His name is Obed, and he is a blessing from the Lord. And Naomi, the, the, the grandmother now, gets to hold little Obed in her arms. But that's not the rest of the story. You heard yesterday, it was sad, brother, I don't know if he's a brother, but Paul Harvey passed away, and that was his famous line in all his newscasts. He'd always say, and now the rest of the story. The story doesn't stop there. Obed became the father of Jesse, who became the father of David. You say, I can't believe it. Here's Ruth, a Moabitess. You're going to tell me she's going to be in the line of, the, of David, the greatest king over all Israel? Yes, but that's not even the rest of the story. That's not even the whole story. She became grafted in like a wild olive branch into the line of the Messiah. If you look over to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 5, keep your finger in Ruth, but Matthew chapter 1 and verse 5, don't ever tell me those genealogies are dry. I don't like to read them. I pass over them. They're just, no, because there's so many blessings in this genealogy, and especially of this one of Christ. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 5 says, Solomon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. She became in the line of the Messiah. It's so amazing. I can't believe it. There's a scripture that says, no Moabite shall ever enter into the temple of God. No Moabite. It's only by the grace of God that she was brought into Israel, she was saved, she had the inheritance, she had the husband, she had the child, she had all these blessings. Did she deserve it? No. She'd be the first one to say no, but it's by the mercy and grace of God. Turn that around to us today living in the year 2009. We as Gentiles who had no part in Israel, 
no part in the covenants of promise, no part in the promises of God, no part in the law, no part of anything from the scriptures. He has brought us in. He has saved us. He has blessed us, given us an inheritance which is incorruptible, undefiled, which fades not away and is reserved in heaven for us. Would he do that for wretches like us? Yes, he would. And he'll do it for you too. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, today you can be saved just like Ruth was, but you have to choose him. You have to receive him. You have to accept him in your life and say, I am a sinner. I want you, Lord Jesus, as my Savior. You died for me, and now I take you into my life. Change me. Give me a new heart and a new life, and he will do that for us. Yes, it's a wonderful picture of the salvation that we have in Christ. And then we see at the end of this chapter, this is, is her crown. This is her crown. You know, we can get crowns on earth sometimes. We can get awards, and we can get things from doing a different things. But when you get your crown in heaven, that's the best crown. And I can imagine the crown that Ruth is going to get is going to be so huge. The Lord's going to have to pick it up. It's going to be so heavy and, and give it to her and put it on her head because think of all the people that have read the story of Ruth. Think of all the people that have got saved as a result of reading the book of Ruth. Think of all the believers that have been comforted and encouraged and challenged and blessed by reading the book of Ruth. And then think about her crown. You know, that's the most wonderful thing about it is the Lord uses these people in Scripture to teach us lessons about loyalty and faith and commitment to the Lord. You could ask Ruth, could you ask for anything more? And she says, no, I couldn't ask for anything more. The Scripture says that he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that works within us. If you think that you can... You can out-give God, it can't happen. When you give him your life, he's going to give you back a hundredfold in blessings. A hundredfold. We can never out-give the Lord. And he is working a plan in our lives. And sometimes we have to be patient. And we look around and we say, well, this person's not married yet. This person doesn't have the career yet. They haven't got, gotten their college degree yet. And we have to wait. But when we wait for the Lord's will, it's always the best. It really is. Sylvia said in one of her last messages that our end will be better than our beginning. And it's true. That's what happened in Job's life. His end was better than his beginning. I read in the book uh, called All the Women of the Bible, it's by Herbert Lockyer. He says about Ruth that her life was in several stages. She was first a young widow, then a faithful gleaner, then a faithful daughter-in-law, a determined convert, a humble gleaner, and an honored mother. So she was a widow, a daughter-in-law, a convert, a humble gleaner, and an honored mother. And I'd like to say honored grandmother. And she became the great-grandmother, too, of David. So that was a big blessing for Ruth. So to summarize this morning, it all started with a choice. For a Moabite young woman, unprecedented to leave behind her old life and her old home and family and everything, that was difficult. What has the Lord asked you to leave behind today? Has he asked you to leave behind a job, some friends that are dragging you down, some people that you associate with? If God asks you to give it up, he's going to give you something better, something far greater, not just a little better, but far greater. And you're going to have the kind of life that Ruth had. Was her life always easy? No. Did she have trials? Yes. 
But once she committed herself to the Lord and followed him, notice he traced the design of her life to make it exactly what he wanted it to be. And that was the best thing. She made the right choice. She had the right character. She had the right conduct. And in the end, she had the right crown. Because the Lord blessed her faith, he blessed her loyalty, her passion, her obedience, and her love. She did everything that the Lord required. And may the Lord help us today to give our lives to him and follow him. It's a choice. We have to make it. It's an individual choice. Are you ready to make that choice? If you are, today's the day to make it because we're not guaranteed we're going to have tomorrow to make that choice. How many people will leave this scene in this world today? Young people, older people, people in between. We don't know. Today might be the last time that we can say, Lord, I choose to accept you as my Savior. I choose to follow you. And if you're a Christian here today, make the choice to follow him on a daily basis. Because it's not about just following him one day. It's following him every day. When life gets tough, when there's difficulties, we have to follow. We have to be determined like Ruth and say about the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, entreat me not to leave from following you. And be willing to go wherever the Lord goes, to lodge wherever he lodges, and to be in his will. May the Lord encourage us today to give everything to him. Shall we just close in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful lady, Ruth, Lord. She was a beautiful woman, but she was more beautiful on the inside than even on the outside. And Lord, she loved you. She followed you all the days of her life. And she showed what can happen when a person surrenders and does your will, Lord. And help us to do that. And if there's anyone here today who is not saved, May they accept you as Savior today, and may their life be changed. Lord, you've been talking to, me, to them over and over, but today is the day. And so we pray that they would accept you. And Lord, we pray for all those believers here today that you'll help each one of us, Lord, to walk according to your will in obedience, in surrender. Help us to say, Lord, I'm going to follow you wherever you want me to go. No matter what happens, I'm going to trust you and obey you. I'm going to do things your way, Lord and not my own way. And so, Lord, we commit this time to you and thank you for all your goodness and love. In Jesus' precious name, amen.